Steelers spent this offseason investing heavily in Matt Canada's offense that continued in the NFL draft. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. Welcome to the cutting room floor. Last week, we talked about the defensive additions to the Steelers roster through the through the 2022 NFL draft. This week, we're talking the offense. We're going to mix up the order a little bit here. I think you'll see why. But I want to start by talking about George Pickens, the wide receiver. George Pickens as a wide receiver comes in with not enormous production, but good production and some crazy film. Absolutely elite film. And let's talk about where he stands. What are his strengths? When you look at a wide receiver, there are certain hurdles that player needs to clear before you can say, okay, this player is going to, this player is very likely to succeed in the NFL. One of the big ones is, can you, can you get off the line of scrimmage against press coverage? Because if you can't, any good cornerback will just jam you every play. And you're not going to make it out of training camp. The other, the other rookies, the other you know guys trying to make the roster, if they figure out you can't get past them in off press coverage, they're just going to jam you because they're trying to get a job, right? This, this is a competitive environment. You won't make it out of camp if you can't do that. You won't make it in, and you see that every year. Players get drafted that can't get off the line of scrimmage against press coverage, no matter how good they looked in college, and you know, in a conference where they don't play a lot of press coverage, because not a lot of teams do. Not a lot of teams have the athletes at cornerback to do it. But in the NFL, these guys can, especially if you're bad. If you're flat out bad at getting off the line, you're not making it in the NFL. The second thing is, can you actually run routes? If you can't run routes, you're not going to be a receiver in the NFL. And third, you got to catch. I mean, these are basic things. But the big one is getting off the line, having some strength in the route, Pickett clears those hurdles. He can get off the line of scrimmage. He can get out into his route. He doesn't get shut down by jams and tight coverage. Physical coverage doesn't crush him. He could be better. Uh, Protecting his lane in his route. One of the things that stood out to me with Deontay Johnson when the Steelers drafted him, one of my first film rooms I did, I did a three-part film room on Deontay Johnson when he was drafted because I was watching his film and his releases were incredible, and his strength, the physicality with which he defended his routes, and the and the line he wanted to run on his route was incredible, and that's shown up in the NFL. That's what has made him a successful receiver in what he does. Pickens gets off the line of scrimmage well. He's not Deontay Johnson. Very few people have the release structure Deontay Johnson has. He's absolutely elite. You jam him, and he's torching you all day, right? George Pickens gets off the line well. In his route, he would rank for me between Deontay Johnson, Deontay Johnson being really good, being like if you're a cornerback who gets physical with him and tries to knock him off his route, he's going to create more space with that. He is going to beat you, right? He is going to win that matchup. Chase Claypool, that's not a strength of his. In his route, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't defend his lane as well as Deontay Johnson, and that's a negative. It, it hurts him, especially in deep passes, where 
he really allows himself to get pinned to the sideline. George Pickens is in between those. He defends his lane well, but he's not a guy who's going to win that matchup every time. Which is strange because on the Steelers right now, those three receivers I just mentioned, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and George Pickens, uh, their their strength and you know fight in the route uh, goes smallest to largest. Like the best is the smallest one and the worst is the biggest guy. Uh, I, I, I don't think that's actually coincidence. I think Deontay Johnson had to fight and so he learned how to and Chase Claypool really didn't. He was just bigger and stronger than everybody. But you get to the NFL and people are bigger and stronger and he doesn't have those skills in place. And that's something that he is developing. He is getting better at it, but that takes time. We'll see how he advances. George Pickens right now, I think, is better than Chase Claypool in that regard. So I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be fine, right? Though, yeah, he, for me, he clears the hurdles. We get to his hands and I want to bring this up because while he, has like his famously stuff's going around on the internet where he had like two drops in his entire college career, like a 2% drop rate. And he's one of the, you know, he has one of the highest percentages of downfield throws of anybody. Like he's a deep receiver and he doesn't drop anything. That's incredible. When you look at his measurables though, one concerning sign is his hand size. His hand size. If you, if you go by, percentiles, and they take all the measurements of wide receivers. He is in the ninth percentile. 91% of NFL wide receivers have larger hands than George Pickens. And hand size matters for receivers. It really does. If you're trying to grab the ball out of the air when it's flying fast, the amount of surface that your hands can take up on that ball matters. When you slow that ball down, the impact on your hands, uh, there's, there's so much of the physics of a catch that make big hands important for wide receivers. And yet, you have a guy with ninth percentile hand size that catches literally everything. Let you think about that for a second. His, his hands are actually his upside. That's his strength. He is... Does a fantastic job of adjusting to the ball in the air. He does a fantastic job of grabbing the ball in his chest, away from his body, especially at length. Uh, he he can get up in the air and bring him down. His contested catchability is incredible. All of those things typically go with larger hand size. George Pickens shows that all on film, but his hand size says he shouldn't. Yeah, I think maybe you're understanding why I'm, I'm doing the second round pick before the first round pick at this point. Anyways, measurables are fine, right? Measurables are important. We can look at his speed. We can look at all these things. But real football matters so much more. What you actually do on a football field matters so much more. And while George Pickens' hand size would lend, lend credence to an argument that he's not going to be a good contested catch guy, that he's not going to have the best hands. You're going to see more drops from him. You're going to see more defenders being able to punch the ball out of his hands while he's catching it. The film doesn't show that at all. He gets hands on the ball, and it's his. He doesn't let defenders take it away from him. Where can George Pickens fit in this offense? And this this is this is the start of the interesting the interesting possibilities for me is 
one of the things I wanted from the Steelers, I wanted a deep threat. You know, a lot of people are saying, hey, we need a slot receiver. I wanted a true deep threat because Chase Claypool is a big receiver, but he's not really a natural deep threat. In a similar vein that Larry Fitzgerald was a big receiver and Hall of Fame receiver. Okay, this is not, I'm not directly comparing them here, but Larry Fitzgerald was more of a route runner, uh, a receiver, a run after catch guy. He was not your classic deep threat. Neither is Chase Claypool. Chase Claypool is several, several tiers below Larry Fitzgerald in overall ability. But he's not a deep threat. He's not that contested catch guy. He's not a Randy Moss. He's not a guy, an A.J. Green. He's not going downfield, jumping up and, and bringing on the ball in traffic. That's not his strength. His real strength is uh, a slant route, man. He is a killer on slants and posts. Those kind of routes are his best. Out cuts, in cuts. He's a route runner. He's just a really big, powerful route runner. I think George Pickens gives the Steelers the deep threat they need. And for his potential impact in his rookie season, I'm going to look at some other rookies, and I need to state right off the bat Uh, These guys had Ben Roethlisberger as their quarterback. So let's, you know, don't don't get too excited. We don't know who George Pickens' quarterback is, but we know they're not going to be uh, in his prime Ben Roethlisberger. Look at a Mike Wallace, a Martavis Bryant, even Sammy Coates for about six games there. And you can see the impact George Pickens can have as a rookie. And that's the exciting thing for his offense because those three players I just mentioned correlate statistically more to offensive production, offensive efficiency, and points scored for the Steelers than Antonio Brown does. And Antonio Brown is the best, most talented, game-affecting wide receivers the Steelers ever had. But with Ben Roethlisberger and his ability to use deep-threat quarterbacks, deep-threat wide receivers, Ben Roethlisberger and Mike Wallace, Ben Roethlisberger and Martavis Bryant, Ben Roethlisberger and for six games, Sammy Coates, correlated to better offense than Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown did. That's the importance of a deep threat. They open up everything else. And when Antonio Brown had one of those guys, his stats were so much better. Like his, his, you have a guy who has like 9.4 yards per target, which is insane, right? That's, that's Hall of Fame production. When those deep threats went away, it went down to in the eights, sometimes into the sevens. Everything ran better with those deep threats. We will see what the quarterbacks can do with these guys, but that deep threat ability as a rookie is going to be a big deal for this offense. And now we'll get to his quarterback. Kenny Pickett, first off, can he use a George Pickens? Can he throw the ball downfield? If not, I don't think he's your starter. That's one thing he really needs to show. And I I, I don't buy the age argument I don't buy the, he's more polished, therefore he has to start right away. That's people generating stories. That's nonsense. Quarterbacks play till they're, you know, in their 30s. 
mid thirties to late thirties. You don't, you don't sit there and look at a 24 year old quarterback and say, Oh my gosh, he needs to be playing right now because he's only got a few years left in his career. No, he's got plenty of time. Quarterbacks can develop a little slowly. Give them a more time. Quarterback is a position that requires much more experience, much more knowledge, much more grasp of the game than, than a lot of the positions where age matters so much. Those are more about physical ability. Quarterback is more about experience, understanding the game, reacting to it, intangibles even. And yet, Kenny Pickett, one of the big knocks on him was he's got a lower ceiling. I know, I know a lot of people have attacked the idea of a ceiling, especially on this podcast network. I want to lend my own to it. I want to get on this as well. Uh, potential isn't just athleticism. Athleticism is a part of it. But for quarterback, it's actually less a part than, you know, like T.J. Watt, who part of the reason he's great, a, a significant part of it is his incredible athleticism. Right? That's... It just works when you're when you're trying to be faster to the quarterback, when you're trying to beat someone around the corner, when you're trying to physically push someone. It matters more. Quarterbacks do less of that. Kenny Pickett is not going to win games based on his ability to push someone. Right? And hopefully not based on his ability to run outside and turn the corner and gain yards up the sideline. That's not how you want to win football games. Accuracy of your passes, your ability to read a defense, pocket presence, keeping your eyes downfield while scrambling, creativity. These are also potential. If we just go by physical traits, what was Tom Brady's ceiling? What was Joe Montana's ceiling? What was any number of these guys' ceilings? Not as high. But yet, those are some of the best quarterbacks of all time. Weren't arm strength and foot speed guys. And this quarterback position still throws the ball. All these complex offenses, you can still read the defense and throw the ball to the open receiver. That's still quarterback. Pickett has that. His strengths are his pocket movement. Uh, Pocket awareness. He's always had that. He's had that ability to scramble out and look downfield. But when you watch his film in 2019-2020, and then you watch him in 2021, 2021 stands out that Kenny Pickett was smoother. He got his eyes downfield quicker. He took his eyes off. He looked at the defender less and kept his eyes downfield more. He showed more of a knack for making plays off script downfield. He showed smoother pocket awareness, not just taking the snap, taking a few steps to his throwing arm side, and then scrambling if he got in trouble. He had more pocket awareness and better footwork in his last season. He made real strides as a quarterback in areas that will shrink his learning curve. One of the things I always look for in NFL quarterbacks, especially when you – let's talk about uh, Trevor Lawrence – Peyton Manning, Joe Burrow. Let's contrast like those two guys, like the first two and the last one there. Peyton Manning and Trevor Lawrence were number one picks from the day they entered college. Like early on, we knew they were special, right? And everyone's just waiting for them to get old enough to go in the NFL. 
And both of them struggled in their rookie seasons. I don't want to take coaching out of it. I don't want to you know, take that stuff out of it. But you had a player who was a star in college and then stayed there and then stayed there some more and then went to the NFL. And when you have a player that is already ready to go to the NFL, in my opinion, Trevor Lawrence, his sophomore season, could have been in the N- an NFL quarterback, right? He, he was ready to start learning the NFL game. Instead, he stayed in college, and he learned how to better attack college defenses, how to better defeat college defenders. And he picked up some bad habits. Peyton Manning did the same thing. That's why he threw all those interceptions his rookie season. He had picked up a ton of bad habits from beating college defenses for four straight years. You take a Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, it clicked for him, right? He hit that age where it suddenly clicked, and then he goes straight into the NFL, and he's extending that growth, right? His growth was on an upward arc, and it never stagnated. It just kept, and then he went to the NFL, and it kept going. And in his second season, he's in the Super Bowl. Right, basically carrying that team to the Super Bowl. Kenny Pickett's fifth-year development is not a negative. It is a positive. The Steelers are picking up a quarterback in the midst of growth. And they're taking him from a guy who clearly figured out the college game. Right, He figured out how to read the college defense, how to excel. He, fantastic stats. He was, he was dominant in college this last year. He's ready for the NFL. He's ready to learn the NFL game, and he's stepping into it at the right time. That's not a negative. That's a positive. It doesn't matter the quarterback you were when you were 20, when you make the NFL. It doesn't matter. In fact, sometimes I think it's an advantage to be a slow developer when a guy like, you know, again, Trevor Lawrence had to sit there. And he really did. He didn't. He didn't have to improve certain things, and he didn't. And he could. He learned to to take advantage of things in college that you're not going to see in the NFL. And he picked up some bad habits. It's gonna. It's gonna hurt him. I think he's gonna grow out of it. I think he'll be a great quarterback. But it's not a negative for Kenny Pickett that he developed late. The important thing is that he learned it. Learning curve in the NFL is your biggest struggle as a quarterback. To take a guy with massive physical tools, measurables, you know, arm strength, foot speed, agility, all these things, and say we can teach him to play quarterback in the NFL when they weren't really a good quarterback in college is tough. That's tough. They are really behind. If Kenny Pickett becomes a star in the NFL, it will be his playmaking ability, it'll be his creativity, it'll be his pocket presence, his movement, his ability to evade what the defense is doing, trying to do to him, and still make plays downfield. And I think he's got a shot at it. As for his hands, I do need to cover it. They are three-eighths of an inch. I want you to think of how big three-eighths is. It's smaller than a half an inch. It's smaller than your thumb. It's smaller than your finger. It might be the width of your pinky. Right? That's the difference between Kenny Pickett's hands and Joe Burrow's hands. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't. His fumbles are not from his hand size. They're, they're mostly from the way he carries the football. Probably is going to be a problem in the NFL. Just like Deontay Johnson holds the football low and he gives up some dumb fumbles every once in a while because of it. It's going to happen. It's not his hand size. I've heard people talk about gloves and how he wears receiver gloves, and receiver gloves don't work in the rain, and he's not going to be able to play in the rain. I, Someone's going to come up with a glove that will help him throw the ball, and they'll have him wear it, and he'll market it. He'll do an ad for them, and they'll sell it to high school kids and college kids. This is not something that can't be overcome when you're talking about a billion-dollar industry like the NFL. It's not a problem. The question is, the the end question for Kenny Pickett is, what's what's his rookie season? I don't think he's a game one starter, and I don't think that's a bad thing. You want him to develop. You don't want to throw him in there and have him trace a trial by fire where he is picking up bad habits, like just running away from people instead of actually seeing what's going on. And if he's not seeing what's going on yet, give him some time. Right? He doesn't have to see it day one. I I think we start with Mitchell Trubisky as our starting quarterback. I think Kenny Pickett will get time if he struggles. And if Trubisky does really well, Kenny Pickett will get some time in games where... You know, the score is different. I don't know. I don't know when Kenny Pickett would get in. The Steelers would find a way. Things happen. The NFL is a game where, you know, your backup is a backup, but they still play. They're going to play. Mason Rudolph played a couple games the last two seasons. It'll happen. He'll get in. We'll get to see him. He'll get some experience. Uh, but I, I think the li- the less he plays, likely the better, unless... You know, he comes in and he is absolutely on fire and he wins the he wins the job because he's ready to play. And then play him. I'm not too worried about predicting it. I'm not too worried about the results. What you don't want is a quarterback in a position where they are in a bad spot, they're struggling, and they have to play. That doesn't help them develop. All right, that's my thoughts on Kenny Pickett and George Pickens. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the other three draft picks on offense, Calvin Austin III, Connor Hayward, and Chris Oladokun. So stay tuned, and we will be back Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. The Cutting Room Floor is brought to you, as always, by the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts and BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. The NFL Draft is over. We had massive amounts of coverage on that. Now we're talking roster. We're looking at all the things. We're heading into rookie minicamp, into the offseason. There's going to be... It's not going to let up. We're going to be talking about the draft picks. We're going to be talking about uh, undrafted free agents. We're going to be talking about guys at rookie minicamp. We're going to be, I'm going to still be doing film rooms. Dave Schofield and I are still going to be breaking down 
you know, last season and looking at next season. All kinds of things are still going on. Make sure you're checking out the website. Make sure you're hanging out with us and talking Pittsburgh Steelers on all of our podcast networks. One of my favorite new shows is the Sunday Night Q&A, where you can come on to the YouTube, on YouTube, come on and you can ask questions. It's, it's a show that is actually designed to ask to for people to ask questions and host to answer them. Uh, I like the show. I love being on it because on this show, I don't get to answer questions. And on the uh, Know Your Enemy and the Curtain Call, the show they do on Wednesday night, there we have a guest. We don't do a lot of, of audience questions. We more have that's more designed for the guest to shine. But that show, I love it. You can go on there. Different people are, are going on at different times. We've got a lot of different hosts, a lot of different guests. And it's a lot of fun. A lot of times you just come in, ask questions, get opinions from different people. It's a great time. I, I enjoy it a lot. First half of this show, we covered George Pickens and Kenny Pickett and hand size. And speaking of things, <laughs> speaking of size... And how much size matters? The Steelers' fourth-round pick, Calvin Austin the third, wide receiver, under five foot eight. But when you look at his athletic profile, when you look at his route running, when you look at his hands, you look at his playmaking, you look at what he actually did on the football field. He was incredible. Like I've said in. My scouting roundup on him, I've said it in, I think, one podcast I talked about it. He's under 5'8". He's too small for wide receiver, right? You you don't play wide receiver at 5'8". That's incredibly rare to see. But Calvin Austin third is kind of the guy who can, who can make it work. Uh, you know, Tavon Austin, Tyreek Hill... These are guys who have made it at that, you know, smaller size. I put out a tweet showing the, it's called RAS, the, uh, it's an athletic number. They, they take all the combine results and put it into a number. And you can look at all of his results. You can look at where he ranks among other wide receivers. And it's starting startlingly similar to Tyreek Hill. His athletic profile is very, very close to Tyreek Hill. His his uh, his athletic score, his total score, is actually better than Tyreek Hill's. The difference between them, I put this out to show, like, hey, this this is this level of athlete. This guy's this level of athlete. But that's kind of where the comparison ends. I, I, I need to say this because Tyreek Hill, when he started out in college, was a running back. And he plays like it. He plays very low. He runs low. He can break some tackles. He can evade tackles. He's much more elusive and runs with much more power than Calvin Austin III. Calvin Austin III is a wide receiver. A lot of times in college, you saw defensive backs tackle him by picking him up. You just you grabbed a hold of him, and he was fighting for extra yards, and you just picked him up. That's that's not conducive to breaking tackles. If he would just pick you up, that you know, that's how small he is. But he's also lightning quick. 
He's a really good route runner, and he is fast. He is not going to be a primary receiver. I don't think he's going to put up Tyreek Hill numbers. But as a, as a pure threat creator, right, if he blows past your cornerback and the quarterback throws the ball down the field and it gets to him, he's gone. That's a big play. Anytime he burns your cornerback. And this guy isn't our number one receiver. Right now, looking at the roster, he's likely number four. You go to a four-wide receiver set, and you keep Pat Fryermuth on the field. You're talking Deontay Johnson. Expert uh, route runner, release guy, great at short intermediate routes, not great at deep routes. You've got Chase Claypool, big, good route runner, strong runner. You know, big play waiting to happen. If you're not defending those, especially if you're not defending those slant routes, if you're not sitting people in the post, if you're not, if you're not sitting that rat defender right there looking for him, he's dangerous. You've got George Pickens running deep, pulling safeties back. You've got Pat Fryermuth over the middle with all of his ability. I, I can't wait to see what he does in his second season. And then you have Calvin Austin the third. Calvin Austin III is, is fantastic on screens. He's very elusive, takes great angles, smart runner, hits top speed right away. Uh, this is one thing Kevin Smith pointed out to me. KT Smith, is he talked about in one of our Slack channels, he was saying that uh, Austin hits top speed like within a few steps, faster than like anyone he's watched. Calvin Austin the third hits top speed, just boom, he's flying. Right? I noticed it too. I went back and looked. I'm like, holy crap, yeah, he's not wrong. You know, like you get him a few steps in a straight line, and he is flying. This is a guy, he's got the elusiveness and he's got that breakaway speed. And that acceleration is often more important than top speed because acceleration is what creates the separation between you and someone else. And I've gone over it before. If you look at 40 times, the, the, amount of, the amount of yards you're covering, right, over time is such that, like, if, if you're five yards behind someone and they have to run 80 yards, the difference in 40 time for you to catch them is, is pretty incredible, right? You have to be legitimately, like, significantly faster than them. So Calvin Austin third, that acceleration is a huge weapon. The question is, how do you get him the ball? What's the best way to get him the ball? Early on in his career, I think he's going to be doing a lot of screen passes and, and things like that. But I don't see him as a Mecole Hardman from Kansas City, who is basically just a, a, a very short route and screen pass and stuff. He's that player. That's all he does because his route running isn't good enough. Calvin Austin III is a really good route runner, and he can provide deep threat. If he's out there and you're doing something else, you have you're you're going to run the ball. You're going to do a uh, you know you're you're working a slant to the other side. Calvin Austin is a guy who can just take the top off the defense by just running. You just run him fast. Be like head that way, boom and go. Take a take an angle route. One of the my, one of Tyreek Hill's one of my favorite routes the Chiefs run with Tyreek Hill is they have him run like just a straight angle. They'll put him in the slot to like the left of the formation and have him run. Just a straight line, 
heading upfield but to the right, enough that the cornerback can't really jam him, and he can get past, and safeties have to pay attention, and everyone's kind of like, whoa, 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 where's, where's Tyreek Hill going? And if they don't pay attention to him, it's an easy touchdown. And if they do pay attention to him, well, he just opened up a lot of things for other people. That's You can just send Calvin Austin on that. Just be like, dude, you're going to line up in the slot over here, and you're going to run this angle, just boom, straight, to, straight upfield and to the right, and, and just mess with their defense. Just be like, hey guys, you know, you need to be attention. You need to be paying attention to where this guy is. Because if he catches the ball, it's gone. If you leave him open and he catches the ball, it's a touchdown. Calvin Austin the third in his first season. I, I'm really excited to see how he's used. I'm excited to see if he does much of the jet sweeps. I'm not certain they'll use him that way, simply because I think like you see Chase Claypool doing that instead of like a Deontay Johnson, because Chase Claypool is a more Dangerous runner with breaking tackles. He, he will dive through traffic. He, he is much more physical. And you kind of want that. You don't want a cornerback to be able to bring down your jet sweep guy. And Calvin Austin would kind of bring that. So I, I, I'll, we'll see how he's used. That's a very interesting thing to me. But I, I want to see him as a deep threat. I want to see him as an intermediate threat. I want to see him providing threat across the board. Everything from screen passes behind the line of scrimmage to deep threat deep ball passes. I want to see them use him and all that as the number four receiver because that's just going to be insanely hard to defend. Moving on from Calvin Austin the third, Connor Hayward, Cameron Hayward's little brother. The big question on him is what does he offer? Will the Steelers put him on the roster? Why do we have Connor Hayward and Derek Watt? Is one of those guys definitely going to be cut? I can answer all of that really quickly here. The reason the Steelers picked up Conrad Hayward, Connor Hayward is built like a fullback. He is built like the fullback you want, right? That's what he is built like. He's a beast of a guy. He's short. He's not tall, but he's an absolute beast. But he's not a fullback. He played tight end in college. Played running back and then switched to tight end. And the reason he got drafted is because of how well he played tight end. At tight end, he is not a height a, a, a height guy. He's not a sit in his zone and throw the ball high to him and he'll catch it. He's not that Jesse Jones, Jesse James type. He is a you know run a simple route in cuts, out cuts, you know crossing routes, the, the more simple routes. Get in the ball when he's open, and let him rumble into people. He is hard to bring down. And when you've got a Pat Fryermuth, you've got a Chase Claypool, you've got a Connor Hayward, you've got a Najee Harris, you've got a lot of people that are hard to bring down. And that just makes your offense better. Makes your offense always better. Connor Hayward, his path to making snaps in the NFL, his path to making the roster, his path to making the team, his path to getting on the field is the third tight end. The Steelers played three tight ends in game. Tight ends received snaps, right? Not, not just was on the roster but was inactive or was on the active roster, but actually played in a game. The Steelers played three tight ends in 13 games last season. 13 of 17 games, they used three tight ends. Think about that. Who's his competition? Kevin Rader? Anyone else, really? Eric Ebron, last year. 
Eric, was last year the, the top three tight ends were going to be Eric Ebron, Pat Fryermuth, Zach Gentry. It ended up with Pat Fryermuth, Zach Gentry, and just whoever else they plugged in. Connor Hayward can be that number three guy. What Connor Hayward needs to do to take that spot primarily is focus on his blocking. Blocking is number one. He's got to pick up blocking. He's shown a lot of good effort. He's shown a lot of instinct for it. He hasn't shown the best technique, but he was a running back and then moved to tight end for one year. I think he'll be fine. Uh, he probably won't be an inline tight end in year one. They'll use him to move around. He's very good at the move blocking. Like you send him in motion and then you run and he's the lead blocker. He's great in those blocks where he's coming and he knows I'm going to find this guy and I'm going to hit him, right? I'm on the move and I just got to hit this dude. He's great at that. If he's standing there and he has to absorb a hit and like hand fighting and, and do it like an offensive lineman, like a Zach Gentry does really well, that's not his strength. He's short, and he doesn't have the technique down. His, his second thing he needs to work on is special teams. That's kind of a 1A. He's done that a lot. I think he'll be fine there. He'll be blocking. He'll be, he'll be coming down and crashing into, into blockers. Like He's, he's going to be playing special teams. Connor Hayward, the reason he was drafted was his size and his profile to fit the kind of H-back, fullback, third tight end, you know, fourth string running back, you know, that kind of versatile player who can do all these different things, right? The reason he's there is because he runs well with the ball for a non-running back, and he catches really well for a non-dedicated receiver, right? For a running back, he's a really good receiver. As a tight end or a fullback, he's a really good runner. If you play him at running back, he's not a good runner. If you play him at tight end, he's not a good route runner and receiver. But when you consider that mixture, if you get him into a fullback, H-back, blocking tight end kind of situation, all of those become positives. I want you to think of Zach Gentry, because Zach Gentry actually was a pretty good receiver for the Steelers last year, and he can't run routes. He's a blocking tight end that Matt Canada manufactured plays for. Zach Gentry was that guy. Connor Hayward is another guy they can do that for. They'll be able to manufacture those kind of plays for Connor Hayward. But in order for him to get on the field, in order for him to get those opportunities, he has to be a blocker. He has to solidify you know, pass blocking, run blocking, being able to be a fullback, being able to be a tight end, being able to play that H-back. He's got to get his blocking down first. Just like Zach Gentry. Zach Gentry's receiving became a positive because his blocking was so good. That's it. That's, Con that's Connor Hayward. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to make it and do fine. Lastly, Chris Oladokun. I don't want to dive too much into his skill set. Chris Oladokun, there's one thing I want to say, and then there's a thing that you need to hear. The thing I want to say is he played quarterback at Sanford uh, the guy who played quarterback right before him uh, won three games as an undrafted rookie quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2019, a guy by the name of Devlin Hodges. Chris Oladokun followed him at Samford. Uh, he's a more talented, physically gifted quarterback. Clearly, I think they saw some things in Devlin Hodges that made them think, hey, maybe Samford has something here, 
right? Maybe they teach their quarterbacks better. Maybe they have an offense that's similar enough to what we want to do. Something there, right? Chris Oladokun followed Devlin Hodges. Now he's coming to the Steelers with a chance to be the Steelers' number three quarterback. I think that's cool. Nice little tie-in. Tie-in for for Devlin Hodges and, and Samford football. His purpose on this team, in my opinion, and this is purely my opinion, is to make Mason Rudolph expendable. Someone is going to lose this three-headed quarterback competition, and they're probably going to lose it early on. You don't run camp with three quarterbacks. The Steelers aren't going to sit Kenny Pickett and not have him practice and develop. That's not going to happen. So Rudolph or Trubisky, one of them's gone. And Chris Oladokun, in my opinion, is here. Rookie minicamp, OTA, stuff like that. To make Mason Rudolph the expendable party. When Chris Oladokun is ready to be number, if he's a guy that can sit there and say, yeah, he can be number three, then Rudolph is expendable. They can trade him. If someone wants him, they can cut him. But you don't. It, it, you, you can't run three quarterbacks in camp. You really can't do it. And get them all good reps. You can't do it. So, in my opinion, Mason Rudolph is going to be made expendable. Chris Oladokun is likely the guy who's going to be on the practice squad as the Steelers' number three quarterback. That's his entire purpose here, in my opinion. Uh, and he'll have, a, with that purpose he can earn himself a shot to develop, a chance to develop into a good backup, into a guy that can play. Who knows what his ceiling is? We don't know. But that chance is going to come through knocking Mason Rudolph off this roster. Not by being better than him, but by being good enough to be the number three and letting Mason Rudolph go elsewhere. The same reason the Steelers traded Josh Dobbs when they had Devlin Hodges. It's because they had someone they could sit there and be like, you know what, you're good enough. We can get a draft pick for, you know, the the other number three. That is our show for this week. That's that's the kind of my take on the offensive draft picks from the Steelers 2022 draft. This has been a little bit of a longer episode here. Uh, but thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for listening. As always, have a great week. Let's go Steelers.